Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. We never use any chlorine in any of our products. We don't use any animal fat in any of our products. And that stuff is normal to, that's, that's pretty uh, yes, typical? Yes, I, I would say that probably 90% of the screw machine shops out there are still using those older types of chemistries. You have you have kosher oil versus... It's actually an, it, it is actually an, an issue in a lot of cases. And yes, we do have kosher oils. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's show is about reducing friction in our machining and our lives. Our guest is Jerry Gates, founder of Gates Engineered Lubricants. Gates produces industrial lubricants, metalworking fluids, and rust inhibitors for a variety of applications. Jerry started his company in 2005 after working over 30 years in the industrial supply business. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am extremely happy to have Jerry Gates, founder of Gates Engineered Lubricants. Welcome to Swarfcast, Jerry. Well, I'm very happy to be here. I, I met Jerry at um, the PMPA Management Update, the Precision Machine Products Association. And um, yeah, we started talking about his business. And I said, I think uh, I ought to get to know him a little bit better. So first, I just want to know about your business, what you guys sell, and I want to get your story. Um, so in a nutshell, give us, uh, tell us what Gates Engineered Lubricants is. Well, uh, Gates Engineered Lubricants is really a, a specialty lubricants company that focuses on uh, customer issues. We, uh, we try to develop solutions for our metalworking customers. Um, so what is it that you sell exactly? Uh, we sell a full line of metalworking products, everything from uh, forming fluids to cutting fluids and uh, corrosion inhibitors mm-hmm. and uh, cleaners uh, for the metalworking industry. Okay. And... 
what are what are your main the main products that to your bread and butter those are the, the cool ones you sell yeah, our flagship product is actually Aladdin 334, which is a deep hole drilling product. We sell that mm-hmm. to customers who are doing ejector drilling, um, uh, tree panning, and gun drilling. Okay, and you are located uh, in Houston or near yes, Houston? Yes, just north of Houston in a suburb of Houston. And so is is that stuff... Those applications are pretty typical for the oil industry? Um, yeah, the ejector drilling and tree panning are typically found in uh, heavy iron manufacturers, uh, but then gun drilling can be disseminated across uh, right. many, many different markets. Can you explain injection? Ejector drilling. Ejector drilling, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's a process where holes are drilled um, at tremendous depths. (laughs) Our uh, focus customer on that product line and that operation is Timken Steel, and they're drilling um, holes uh, from two inches up to uh, 14 inches in diameter Mm. through bar stock uh, that's as long as 60 feet long. And They'll uh, they'll penetrate that bar stock at seven inches a minute, and they generate a, a lot of chips every day. Okay, and so what kind of uh, coolant would you use for that? That's a straight oil application, and that's our our Aladdin three three four, which is a mineral oil based product uh, with uh, extreme pressure additives uh, in it. Uh, the, the type of drill head that they use requires a tremendous amount of EP um, and anti-welding uh, additives uh, because of the extreme pressures and, and depths that they go. The duration of the cut is quite long sometimes. Okay. Um, okay, let's back up. Tell me how you got started in this uh, pre um, you know, before founding Gates, what what is your your background? Uh, I was talking to you before, and you said you do not have a chemistry background. No, no, I don't. Um, I I grew up as uh, the son of a carpenter, and um, was actually in the construction business, and um, we did uh, uh, all types of repairs and remodeling, and. Um, I focused pretty much on fixtures and trim. Um, I'm a cabinet maker by trade. Um, got out of that business and went into the industrial supply business. And there is where I learned. Uh, Why did you get out of that business? Um, it, it was uh, just, it, it wasn't going where I wanted to go um, as a lifelong career. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was not as lucrative as, as, uh, as I wanted to, as my, as my dreams uh, aspired uh, for a career to take me. So I, uh, I, I decided to, to move on to a different career. And um, actually one of my Remodeling customers offered me a, a position um, in an, as an industrial supply sales guy. And, ah, okay. Um, yeah, so I got kind of pulled into um, into the industry through uh, one of my construction customers uh, who owned a business and uh, a, an industrial supply business. Okay. 
And and then what happened? Um, well, I got into um, um, metalworking. I, I had no idea they could do with with metal what uh, uh, many of the same things that I could do with wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just it was very intriguing to me. Um, I got my initial training on coolants and lubricants from Master Chemical. Uh, and Mr. Clyde Sluin um, was the founder of that company, and I actually was able to be uh, trained by him uh, on a lot of different aspects of coolants and, and lubricants. And uh, I became very successful selling uh, the Master Chemical line. And uh, So you were selling it, but you also understood the chemistry of it well i of course i didn't at first uh, but then i because i was so intrigued with the metalworking process i i was trying to figure out how and why what what enabled them to do with a piece of metal what i could what i was trained all my life to do with a piece of wood mm-hmm. um, things that i thought would be impossible to do i i had the privilege of seeing those things happen uh, right before my eyes, and and I was just amazed by it. So I I beginning began to study and try to understand exactly how they could make those things possible. Sure, sure. And then later, you said you worked for Castrol. Uh, yes, uh, through my career as it developed in different areas. So you, you worked for several different companies, or. Well, I um, no, I I worked for the distributor that hired me away from the construction business. Mm-hmm. I worked for them for eleven years, and then um, we, we took on uh, the Van Stratton line, and then we uh, Van Stratton was purchased by Castrol. So I became a Castrol distributor sales guy. Uh, was quite successful selling their product line, and they offered me a position, not in the industrial division, but in the marine division for mm. offshore lubricants. So um, I got kind of out of metalworking and became a, a global sales guy for the marine division or Castrol Offshore, and that's where I learned um, a lot about different industrial lubricants and the applications of those. Okay. So, so then what happened? Did you, how, how long ago did you start this company? Uh, I founded my own company in 2005. Okay. And um, I had decided to get completely out of the lubricants business, went into the insurance business. And, Interesting. Um, but continued to get calls from my customer base that I had developed over um, the years uh, just as consulting. Why did you go into the insurance business? Just seemed like a good opportunity? Um, well, I, I was looking for residual income. You know, I, I wanted to, uh, to build a business that had recurring uh, sales, renewals, and looking around at the market space, I decided that, you know, the largest pool of customers um, would would be the general public. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone that I met and talked to on a daily basis, no matter what their profession, they became a target client of mine. Right. Um, but so, why did you and, – and but then you stopped doing that because – you had people that would call you from your past life. Yes. 
and uh, I was doing consulting work for different metalworking companies, and um, I got an opportunity um, to uh, work on a project for a customer. They were actually one of my old Castrol customers, and they, uh, Castrol or BP at that time, uh, had decided to eliminate uh, the product that this particular customer had been using for years and I had introduced them to that product and so when it was going away they called me and asked me what they could replace it with Mm -hmm. so as a consultant and as um, a guy who who wasn't even in the oil business anymore um, I suggested that they go to some of Castrol's competitors and you know they quickly pointed out they had already tested those products and they didn't work as well. And uh, they wanted to know if I was interested in um, helping them develop a product. Mm. So um, I took on the challenge and started doing a little research and uh, went back to some of my old contacts in the lubricants business and put together a product and, and had it blended and um, took it to them. I'm trying to picture, are you like in a laboratory and you're like actually mixing no stuff i was and a, how, actually, how, does, how does this creating the new products work <laughs> you're like uh, an alchemist well, it's, it's not it's not what you know but who you know you know so um i actually had some chemists that were working on this for me and uh they were working under my direction and uh uh we collaborated on uh on the final solution based on my experience of application and my knowledge of my particular customer and what their problems were. I presented- What was was the customer doing? uh, They were ejector drilling. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so this is the customer that started the whole career path for us. And uh, the goal here was to uh, surpass their current uh, performance levels, which was to be able to drill. They were currently drilling 40 feet um, through a piece of bar stock without having to change tooling. And uh, they challenged me to increase their production rate by a minimum of 10%. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, and was that a big challenge? Or, or did, uh, you, did you, did you I, uh, solve the problem pretty quickly? I, I solved the problem uh, extremely quickly. We solved the problem on our first formulation um, that we put together. We delivered 6,500 gallons of product on a proof of performance. Uh, so was, why was it that you were able to solve that problem the first try when they were going to all these other people and they couldn't solve the problem? You just had the right chemists? I had uh, I had the vision of what their need was. Mm-hmm. Uh, my competitors didn't fully understand what the requirements were of the application. I see. And they were trying to solve the problem with products that were on the shelf, products that they had available to them. And uh, I took a different approach. I designed and formulated a product for their specific I needs. I see. So you started over. Basically. Started from ground one. And um, uh, I was also able to apply the latest technology and of different chemistries uh, to the application, where historically people who did that job would depend on or what are now antiquated chemistries, mm-hmm. um, 
which, by the way, they still are, uh, are, are used today and, and quite frequently. You know, 12 years ago when we started this business, we improved their, their tool life from 40 feet to 450 feet without changing any tooling. Wow. So, so we increased their tool life by 10 times. And um, which is which is not always possible, but we we very rarely are put in a position where we don't increase tool life by thirty or forty percent. Okay, so now you know our world is uh, people running, you know, screw machines, Swiss machines, five axis CNC lathes, etc. And you have a lot of competitors. This is a tough market for for this stuff. Uh, so, is your oil that much different for a lot of these applications than the competitors? Uh, yes, it is. It's it's uh, quite a bit different than than our competitors. Um, Who are the competitors? Um. Well, we would consider. Um, uh, all of the major brand competitors uh, or oil producers for metalworking fluids are competitors. And starting with all of the major uh, metalworking companies, Qualicam, Castrol, uh, Master Chemical, Hankstifers, um, Ashburn, uh, all, all of the all okay. of the big players. So yeah. if I have a, a citizen and I'm trying to figure out who I should choose – is there some like big difference in the chemistry of your oil than the others? Yes, there is. Would they say the same thing? Right off the bat, we don't we never use any chlorine in any of our products. We don't use any animal fat in any of our products. And that stuff is normal to that's that's pretty uh, yes, typical. Yes, I, I would say that probably 90% of the screw machine shops out there are still using those older types of chemistries in that that would be they'd be using that in cnc machines or just cam machines or both well cnc there are still quite a few cnc machines that are running um oil-based products right we also well, the, have the a swiss swiss machines usually run oil-based right right yeah yeah but when we when we say CNC, I'm thinking of uh, like lathes, lathes and yeah. lathes and, those are mostly and water. mills and those kinds of things that are running water based products, which we have a full line of but water those, based products. Yeah, as so well. you're not talking about with those with animal fats. You're talking about Correct. somebody running uh you know, a multi spindle or um or even like a citizen with or a something. Straight, right, with a straight oil straight oil. So why uh, would you put animal fats in it and why wouldn't you want animal fats in it? Uh, I mean, I keep kosher, so like I, I don't actually, want. Ana I don't, you know, like I used to not be able to eat Oreos because it had animal fat, but then now that they just use vegetable shortening. So, I is 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 this you uh, have it, you have kosher oil versus? It's actually an it, it is actually an an issue in a lot of cases, and yes, we do have kosher oils. Um, so, but it's totally uh, going to be but, the name of the blog. Uh, right. Um, but they are um, uh, quite common. 
in cutting fluids and the fats are there for boundary film lubrication um, and uh, they're, they've historically been extremely hard to outperform um, particularly when compared to the cost of building a, 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 a high-tech product. Okay, so why wouldn't you want to use them then? Are they bad for the environment? Uh, they're hard to dispose of. The European manufacturers um, have uh, uh, full line restrictions on them now. Uh, many, many products uh, have been banned from the European Union manufacturing uh, companies because uh, content of animal fat in them. Uh, because they're hard to dispose of. Uh, yes, and just for environmental reasons for uh, the extraction of, of and the use of animal byproducts. Um, so uh, the, the, what, the you, issue they don't of, want to kill animals? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a big part of it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the others use mostly use animal fat. Uh, yes, and chlorines. Uh, which are bad for the environment. Right. Um, they've been on the hit list by the EPA for years. And you don't use chlorine in yours either. We don't use any chlorine in any of our products. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. Okay. And then um, now everybody's, you know, whenever we're at the trade shows, you always get people coming up and say, you should try our stuff. It's got the vegetable oil. Uh, Do you guys do that? We do make uh, a... couple of products that uh, we market that are made from vegetable oils. Um, However, uh, with the chemistry uh, that we currently use, we're able to perform as well as, if not better than, in 90% of the cases, we're able to to, uh, perform better than the vegetable oil products uh, with a with a much lower cost mineral oil product at it with a that has a lower viscosity and is much easier to clean. So, but is the vegetable better for the environment? Uh, n- not it, it may be as a base product, but once it's been additized and contaminated in the con- cutting zone, you've elevated it to uh, practically the same disposal issues mm. that you have with mineral oils. So uh, the mineral oils that we use are all group two base stocks. They're water white. Uh, they're extremely pure and very easily disposed of. How do you dispose of them? Um, they can be sold into the oil recycling or reclaim mm-hmm. programs. Um, however, that's one of the extreme benefits that we have. For instance, the customer that I was talking about earlier, we have a little over 90,000 gallons of product in circulation inside their plant. They've been running for 12 years. The same, the same oil. The same oil. They have never dumped or recharged one one machine tool in their entire facility wow. and and we um we will take on the responsibility of 
disposing of any oil that has to be re- disposed of, of of our product. How and do you? How the, do you dispo- the reason we how can do, you do that, dispose of it? You we send never it, have. Send we've it never to had, Arizona. No, we've <laughs> never had to dispose of any of it, and that's why we can. Okay, make so, that claim. So here's the economist in me talking. Uh, not that I am an economist, but if you can recycle the stuff then how are you supposed to keep selling it to people if they can just keep reusing it? Uh, well, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, that does become a problem. <laughs> uh, a lot of our customers who are accustomed to using uh, several hundred gallons a month in their shop, when they begin using our products, uh, the only oil that they have to purchase um, over time is what's carried off or, or wasted in in the process itself. Splash splash out, mm-hmm. drag out. Um, uh, you know, all of the metal chips that they produce are actually painted, right, from both sides mm-hmm. of the chip, just like a paint. It sticks to the chip and is carried off to the to the scrap metal bin. So okay, so say somebody else is using like hangster furs or something, and then you know, they're interested in your oil the same for the same application. They have to make sure that they get rid of that stuff before they bring yours in, right? In, in most cases, we try and work with the customer to help them manage their way out of their existing fluids. And the way we do that is we set up what we call a walkout process Hmm. where we will provide enough oil um, uh, on site for them to to recharge machines as we're moving through through the plant and we will assist our customers in collecting the oil from a machine that we're going to go into we'll help them pull that oil out filter it as best it can be filtered and then use it for makeup in the remaining uh, machine tools in their shop so what we do is we usually end up working the oil out of the shop by by moving it through the shop and then getting into the last cell mm-hmm. so that we minimize the amount of product that has to be disposed of. Or uh, sometimes uh, we have helped them find uh, a buyer for, for that type of oil, um, and we will take it to the plant and filter it and dehydrate it and, uh, and then resell it to someone who is in the market for that type of product. That's interesting. That's good value added. So, what is what are the the biggest things people have to worry about when they're choosing the right coolant, for example? I mean, that's one of the main products you sell. Correct. What are the the biggest challenges? What what's the biggest thing to worry about? Well, the the things that we focus on when we go to a customer um, and and propose our product, uh, the first thing that we do is we check for compatibility of our product with whatever they have in their shop. If it is one hundred percent compatible, then we uh, a lot of the uh, prerequisites of changeover are. Um, eliminated, you know, is a deep cleaning, flushing, um, disposal, all of that sort of thing. Um, so if there's minor uh, contamination rates between the two different fluids, you know, those are uh, 
minimize risks. Um, but uh, the thing that we we do is we offer our products on a proof of performance. We will go in and study the application. We look at all of the tooling that they intend to be using. Um, we look at the finish requirements, the materials that they're running, and then we look at uh, their filtration. We look at their uh, oil reclamation systems and their uh, chip reclamation systems, and we recommend a product that best suits the processes that they have in place. Okay. So uh, we want to minimize the, the cost and the risk of changeover. We understand that that our customers are in the business of producing parts, and uh, any interruption in that is an added expense. Our elevator speech is that um, our goal is to go in and reduce their overall operating costs greater than their entire lubricants budget. Uh, it's a pretty bold statement, but at that point, there's really little risk to at least starting a trial particularly since we offer the product on a proof of performance. Um, if the product doesn't do what we said it would do, uh, or in fact, if it doesn't do what the customer expects it to do, then we don't expect any payment for that product. Wow. Yeah, and we will actually go in and take the product back and take it off their hands. We've never actually had to do that. There, there have been a couple of instances where the customer said, you know, this is really doing well, but I'd like for it to do just a little bit better. We have gone in and reformulated, changed the products out, and then we end up winning the business in the end. So we're um, just a few more questions. Environment. Are you guys, is this like a, I mean, it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you've tried to engineer is environmentally friendly like that's one of the challenges you're going after yes it is is this like for you and your competitors this is one of the main challenges you guys are going after or are you you mainly concerned with other things like how how long the tool life is actually our our primary focus is on uh performance uh, extended to life and consistent quality mm -hmm. uh, because the part has to be made. Um, what we also focus on a after we've met those uh, or we've taken those things into consideration, um, the things that we begin to focus on are environmental impacts. What do you what do you think of the um, the current like environmental regulations um, stuff that you know, was put in by Obama, stuff that's been rolled back, or et, et cetera. I don't know exactly how much that affects you. Has, has current legislation or rollbacks, has that made your life any easier or has that really not affected you? Um, actually, it's made our, our life a little more difficult because we began developing products, chlorine and, and sulfur-free products, uh, based on the, on the regulations and mandates to eliminate those two components from cutting fluids. Mm -hmm. So we began, we began developing products uh, without chlorines based on those regulations. Uh, now that those have been rolled back, our competitors um, have begun selling and developing um, products 
uh, just as they had in the past. So it's and been now a- you feel like you you want to do that as well because do you think no we're not going to do that because yeah. because we can build a why would you cleaner better product um, uh, that performs as well as the old standards. What do you think of you know I mean I don't know your expertise exactly on the environmental stuff, but you'd know better than a lot of people. I'd think about the effects of the various chemicals, et cetera. So what do you think of say some of the regulations that were passed under Obama? Do you think that a lot of them actually made sense or do you think a lot of them were, were just, by people that didn't exactly understand what they were talking about, maybe a little mix of both. Well, I think it's a mix of both. Um, the The issues with the chlorinated paraffins, I think, was more than likely uh, a lot of misunderstanding on the lawmakers' um, part, and uh, they didn't fully understand what the that impact would be on on our society what did they say give me some specifics well what what did they they say and what is the truth well in your opinion what (laughs) what they were saying was that all chlorinated paraffins were bad for the environment they were bad for they were health and safety risks um and and uh uh that they could not be effectively segregated from wastewater and discharge streams um that's just not the case there are a variety of. Uh, they were saying chlorinated that it would, they were saying it would get in the wastewater. Yes, and that and it go into and the that streams it, and, and stuff. go into the streams and cause a lot of uh, downstream issues. But it but but it didn't do that. Um. I, well, you can't say that it doesn't ever do that. But any anything can be, you know, mis mis misused or abused. Um. But the fact is. There are chlorinated paraffins that can be safely used and treated uh, for disposal. Mm-hmm. So these people just kind of made a blanket statement. Yes. Like, we don't want to take any chance. They'd probably go, well, we don't want to take any chances. That's that's or or this is easier to just blanket it all to, and to blanket it all. Yes. Um, whereas in you would say that. You should pay more attention to the details, et cetera, for, yes, for what, they, what what works and what doesn't. That correct. But at the same time, you didn't have a you didn't have much trouble following the guidelines, did you? I it took a lot of work uh-huh. and a lot of out of the box thinking, um, and a, a whole new approach, a very innovative approach. And, and the other, but the the other people must have been trying to do that as well, right? Uh, yes, they have been, but they have a certain set of paradigms that they've been following for years and year decades, mm-hmm. and um, they were not willing to uh, move beyond uh, their own sets of boundaries. Do you think it helps that your company is a lot younger than theirs? Absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, it also helps that we're not... Uh, so critically and deeply founded in the historical uh, ah. uh, pathways uh, that that people, you know, the take the south safe route all the time, um, because our company is small and nimble. Um, we have a low overhead. Um, 
we can take more expensive raw materials and put them together and build a product that's more reasonably priced than a than a large corporation can do. That's interesting because usually you'd think like a large corporation would have the resources and the critical mass that they could make things cheaper than a smaller company. Well, they can in large volumes, um, but um, to create a new product, they don't have the volume, they don't have the business justification to invest in those large quantity purchases. Um, so uh, the the time that it takes to put into research and development and proving out a product, testing and documentation, um, once they've made all those investments, then if they've started out with expensive raw materials, they're not able to meet the market demands for price. Uh, our company is just the opposite of all that. It doesn't take us very long to to work on a, uh, a project because all of our resources are focused on that one project, you know, mm. and and we move it through the through the qualification processes quite quickly. Whereas like some a Castro or something, they have so many different things they're doing, so that's that makes them less able to come up with solutions less, you're less saying? efficient yes yeah. and they have a protocol that they have to uh, to follow that is typically measured against a global standard where we are focusing on a particular customer we have to understand their local wastewater and disposal uh, so usually okay so sometimes like just a customer will go to you with a specific application. Yes. You will come up with the solution to that application, and then that might go into your product line? Correct. That's cool. That's a, that's a very interesting way of coming up with the need. Yes, we, we, only, we only respond to direct customer needs. Uh, we have no reason to go create a product just because – it looks like fun. Uh, we have a specific application that we will target, mm-hmm. and we'll build usually, a product. And usually, you, you're, you figure if one person has this need, then the other people will have the need as well. I mean, most of the time, it's not that unique. Um, no, you're you're correct. Most of the time, it's not that unique. Although some of these markets, for instance, the tree panning and ejector drilling market, is compared to all the other markets, is extremely small, and that's why BP made the decision to get out of that business and eliminate that uh, original product that we built. Uh, they eliminated their offer to that market space. Um, so when they begin to exit that market, that's where we entered the market. Mm. And, you know, there are probably less than a dozen customers across the United States that have those requirements. However, when we built that product and we saw what its performance uh, properties were, then we begin to look for other applications for that same product. Um, it's now it's, it's still our number one selling product. Um, we've sold a couple of million gallons of that product into the market space. And um, the technology and the application experience that we gained with that particular product has led to the development of others. Um, we've converted that original product into a water base uh, product so that it can be used in CNC applications. 
um, and grinding applications and uh, sawing applications. We have a lot of different applications for that type of chemistry um, that that's used that we started off with in the straight oil application of ejector drilling. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. You're you're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's a pleasure uh, learning a few things. I I it's interesting how simple things things that people gloss over or label as little details but there's so much that goes into that stuff so there's there's so much that goes into it you know and i think understanding the customer needs and understanding where they place their values and focusing on delivering value to their priorities is uh is is probably the greatest uh, attribute that we have that continues our success and our our growth most of our business is attained through word of mouth we have a very very small sales force and we are focused on on our customers 100 percent we understand that our customers greatest assets are their people number one Mm -hmm. and their machine tools number two and their uh, oil, number uh, three. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jerry. Yeah, thank you.